0: Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. In this episode, I spoke with Paul Roth. CPA and tax principal at Blue & Co. about the impact of the South Dakota versus Wayfair case two years later. We discussed new nexus standards, how many states have adopted Wayfair, what this means for online retailers, and much more. Here's what he had to say.
1: Wayfair um, continues to pick up a significant amount of momentum. Uh, We're now down to just two states that have a sales tax regime that have not adopted Wayfair, which are Florida and Missouri. Uh, That's pretty predictable because the states had really been kind of lining up um, and had selected the uh, Wayfair case as the one that they wanted to bring before the Supreme Court. Uh, So the states were well prepared when the uh, Wayfair legislation passed to begin implementing that. Uh, Another thing that we're seeing going on right now is that many states have passed marketplace facilitator laws Currently we have 39 states with marketplace facilitator laws that require the marketplace facilitators to collect the sales tax. Uh, and an example of a marketplace facilitator would be an Amazon as an example. Um, it's uh despite what, what some people have hoped for, uh, Wayfair is not going anywhere. Uh, it's taken, uh, it took two decades for uh, a case to get before the Supreme Court since Quill which was the prior standard for sales tax. Um, the court has ruled it's highly unlikely that, that the Wayfair um, economic presence concept is going to go away anytime soon. And uh, states uh, have what appear to be fairly significant latitude in what their Wayfair standard will be. In other words, what it takes to have an economic presence in the state. Um, most states are using the exact threshold used in Wayfair, which is uh, 200 uh, transactions or $100,000 of sales in a 12-month period. Um, there is one state that is basically saying any activity uh, brings you under the Wayfair um, threshold for sales tax collection requirements.
2: And what do practitioners, tax practitioners, need to know about Wayfair right now?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, uh, we, we, we live in a world today where clients change how they operate and particularly how they uh, go about generating their sales. Uh, that, that changes um, pretty dynamically over time. And so I think first and foremost, it's important that you know your client. You need to understand what your client's doing and and what mechanisms it's using to sell its, its products uh, i'm aware of a company as an example uh, that sold motorcycle parts and the uh, the cpa on the account uh, was sure that they weren't selling over amazon well as it turned out they weren't in fact selling on amazon and they had inventory uh, through amazon in a number of different locations so it's extremely important that you understand what your client's doing and you're working with them uh, to track their sales activity, both from a transaction and sales number by state. Uh, it's also important to know um, when, you're, when you have a client that's selling through Amazon, uh, to remember that oftentimes Amazon is allowed to control where inventory is held. And even though Wayfair is the new standard, it didn't eliminate the Quill physical presence standard. So, if Amazon is storing inventory in a particular state, you've got a physical presence in that state for both uh, sales and income tax purposes. Uh, it's also important to know the states have have wanted to get this legislation passed for a number of years. So, not only are they being fairly cooperative in helping us uh, implement. Uh, the, the software and the things that need to be done to comply with the state requirements, but they're also being very aggressive in enforcing uh, their Wayfair laws. Uh, there are a number of states that, in fact, have uh, formed positions within the state that are responsible for identifying out-of-state companies that are not in compliance with Wayfair. Uh, more than ever, uh, the timing and the uh, existence of tax-exempt certificates is, has become an extremely important matter. The, the, uh, because it's, it's much more likely to be subject to sales tax in the different states that you sell into, having those tax-exempt certificates from all your customers that are exempt uh, has become a really important uh, part of the whole sales tax process. And then remember that the quill standard still applies even if you don't meet the Wayfair threshold. What I mean by that is the quill standard, which was pre- wayfair, talked about physical presence in a state. If you had a physical presence in the state that could be inventory, that could be people, that could be a location, that would give you a requirement to collect sales tax in that particular state. So especially as relates again to those that sell on Amazon, if they have inventory being held in different states, they meet that physical presence standard and they are subject both now and possibly in the past to the collection uh, of sales tax. And, and the last thing that, that I would say is you have to comply. You just have to comply with Wayfair. Um, sales tax is one of those areas that it's, it's, The the seller is simply a conduit between collecting this tax from the customer and remitting it to the state. So to put yourself at risk by not collecting that sales tax uh, doesn't make economic sense. The state, if they audit your client, is going to pursue the seller for the sales tax. They're not going to go after the individual customers.
2: So are sales at wholesale included in the revenue test?
1: Sales at wholesale in most states are included in the revenue test. So it's, uh, it's very important that you track those things. And, again, to the extent that you have sales at wholesale so they're exempt uh, from the collection of sales tax, it's important to have those tax-exempt certificates, no matter how obvious it may appear that a customer is tax-exempt.
2: And so if all sales are sales for resale, do tax practitioners need to file sales tax returns?
1: In most states, the answer to that would be yes, and, and that's, that's true for, for a number of reasons. Number one, if you don't file a, a, a sales tax return, you haven't started a statute of limitation running. So if at some point down the road the, the state comes in and identifies you as having uh, a state uh, – Sales tax filing requirement. They can go back as far as they want to. That's important because um, if if you don't happen to have all your tax exempt certificates in order, some of what you thought were tax exempt sales could become taxable sales. So going ahead and filing returns uh, for which you've uh, uh, for which you have wholesale sales, even if all of them are wholesale sales. Again, it helps you to avoid any failure to file penalties. Um, It keeps the state from identifying you and issuing notices with estimated assessments. And and the other thing it does is it it probably adds to the discipline of your client in collecting and maintaining tax-exempt certificates. Uh, Several of my clients prior to Wayfair did a much better job of collecting uh, tax-exempt certificates and the states in which they had a filing responsibility than they did for customers located in states in which they didn't have um, a Quill Nexus to file.
2: And why are those tax exempt certificates so important?
1: Well, the state, the, the laws in virtually every state basically say you, they have criterion for what makes a sale tax exempt. As an example, uh, selling for resale. So you're selling a wholesale. Somebody else is then selling at retail. Well, all of that is proven by the existence of a valid tax-exempt certificate from that customer. The state's position is virtually always, if you don't have a tax-exempt certificate, we don't care how obvious it is that that your customer is buying from you at wholesale and selling at retail, the states oftentimes will take the position that without that tax-exempt certificate, As far as they're concerned, that customer's sales are are subject to their retail and they're subject to the collection of sales tax. Also, a number of states have a requirement that you have the tax exempt certificate at the time that you're selling to that customer or a fairly short period of time after that, maybe 30 to 60 days. Historically, states have taken the position when they've audited you, at least in a number of occasions, states have taken the position that if you don't have tax-exempt certificates when they audit you, they'll often give you an opportunity to go back to those customers and get tax-exempt certificates, but that's not necessarily consistent with the literal reading of their law. And one of the things uh, that, that I am concerned about is that as states identify Uh, companies that are not complying, they're out-of-state companies, that they won't be as um, lenient in their audits when it comes to going back and getting tax-exempt certificates. So it's better to have a program in which you're collecting those tax-exempt certificates and you're monitoring them to make sure that your tax-exempt certificates are still in force
2: how do the nexus standards under wayfair impact filing obligations for income tax and non-income tax states?
1: Well, as far as from an income tax state perspective, there's a, a, a law called Public Law 86-272. And 86-272 says they, they basically exempt certain activities from being subject to, um, to uh, income tax or, or being subject to a portion of that state, and that would include things like having a salesperson in the state soliciting sales. The Public Law 86-272 only applies to the sale of tangible personal property in states with an income tax. So to the extent that you're selling services or to the extent that you're selling into a non-income tax state, the protections of Public Law 86-272 do not apply. When that's the case, uh, Wayfair is, is basically—it's basically an economic nexus concept. It's basically saying if you have enough activity in the state, uh, then we're going to say that you need to, to collect sales tax. Well, in the same way, if you're uh, selling services, an example in a state with an income tax, uh, that state can argue for. Um, oftentimes can argue for an economic presence uh, standard. Uh, sometimes they still have to show a physical presence standard, but oftentimes they can argue for an economic presence standard and doing almost anything to get you into the state uh, can, can bring you into a nexus position. Uh, in states that don't have an income tax, as an example, the Ohio commercial activity tax, uh, they use what's called factor presence, which means if you have a certain number of sales, a certain amount of property or payroll, or a certain percentage of your total in any of those categories, you can have nexus in the state and be required to file a return and remit that state's uh, tax, which is oftentimes kind of a uh, gross receipts set tax. And Paul, I
2: know you mentioned earlier people need to comply with Wayfair. So what would you say are some of the sales tax traps post-Wayfair?
1: Well, I think there are a number. I think, first of all, and and this is, uh, we're seeing this more and more, is companies that, that have a presence in the state that they never knew they had. And what I mean by that, again, is going back to this whole Quill standard and selling through a a company like, say, Amazon, where they can control what the inventory is held. Although you have access to those records, most companies don't access them uh, at least as thoroughly as they should. So they may have inventory sitting in, say, Missouri and not even know it uh, because that's where Amazon has chosen to store some of their inventory. So one of the traps is you can actually then have a sales tax collection requirement in a state, say like Missouri, um, under the quilt concepts even before Wayfair. And that becomes important because as you're registering for sales tax, oftentimes one of the questions is, when did you first begin selling into the state? So one of those traps is, you had a a collection requirement prior to Wayfair. Uh, So you have uh, the exposure for tax penalties and interest. One of the risks of, of the exposure areas with Wayfair is that you're going to have visibility. So if you have a client that maybe has historically not, uh, filed a, a tax return in a state and maybe they should have been, but they didn't want to because of the the, the, the amount of tax due seemed pretty small compared to the, uh, the burdens of filing, uh, just, just to know that number one, um, you've got a visibility in the state that you never had before as a, as a uh, out-of-state taxpayer. So if you register for Wayfair, it's highly likely the state is going to identify you at some point. And because there's no statute of limitations, since you haven't filed a return, the state uh, is free to go back as far as they want to once they've identified you. Some states legislatively limit how far back they'll go. Uh, but typically it can go back away. So a, t- a typical state probably goes back at least seven years. So I think it's important to know that look, uh, the world has changed. States are much better at identifying uh, non-compliant out of state companies. And with the information that they'll get through the Wayfair uh, sales tax registra- registrations, they will have significantly more uh, information than they've had in the past. Um, the next is identifying when you've met a particular state's Wayfair standard and, and when to begin collecting sales tax. And that's, that's a particularly um, sensitive area, I think, for a lot of companies, because um, when you look at a standard of, say, 200 transactions in a state or 100,000 in sales, you may meet that standard at some point in a month and not know for sure you've met it and then and and most states will say once you've met that standard your collection requirement begins the the first day of the following month or maybe the first day of the following quarter so without adequately tracking that uh, what can what can basically happen is you can meet that standard and not know it until you're already past the point uh, where you should have been collecting sales tax and to that extent you may well be responsible as the, uh, seller that should have collected the sales tax for those sales taxes. So, uh, certainly, uh, certainly another potential trap area. Uh, another is, uh, basically the under, the unintended consequences of visibility in that state. When you, when you register for Wayfair for sales tax, uh, you're giving yourself visibility in a state. So, um, You need to make sure that, okay, am I sure that I don't have an income tax filing responsibility in that state? Am I sure that I don't have, if it's Ohio, a commercial activity filing responsibility in that state? They're going to know that you're in the state because of your registration for sales tax. And at some point in time, you're probably going to get a questionnaire from the state inquiring as to whether or not you have other filing responsibilities in the state. Uh, Another potential trap is this whole marketplace facilitator concept that a lot of the states are using. Um, You can be a marketplace facilitator and not really even know that you are or not be fulfilling all the obligations that a typical marketplace facilitator does. As an example, uh, I dealt with a company that uh, sold it wholesale and they sold to dealers who then sold to their customers. Well, a customer could basically uh, go online and uh, order a piece of equipment, uh, and their payment uh, was actually processed by the dealer in their home state. But in theory, because it, the product is ordered through the uh, internet site of the wholesaler, they could theoretically be treated as a marketplace facilitator and, and have be responsible have responsibility. For collecting that sales tax, um, and then I think the last one is a point I've been kind of emphasizing, but tax exempt certificates—that's um, that's that's a huge trap under wayfair. Um, you just have to you have to collect all those tax exempt certificates. You can't make an exception. You have to every time sale you make that's tax exempt. You need a process and procedure in place that causes you to confirm that you have a valid tax exempt certificate from that customer. Uh, Because to the extent that you don't, um, bad things can happen if you're caught and audited.
2: And what questions are you hearing your peers ask about Wayfair? The
1: the risk I'm hearing about that I'm discussing with my peers and their questions is, first of all, what's the risk of noncompliance? And the risk of noncompliance is uh, the whole sales sales tax system is set up so that as I, as a seller, collect sales tax that's the responsibility of my customer and I remit it to the state. When I choose not to collect that sales tax because it's too burdensome, because uh, the compliance is too much, I am now assuming the risk for that sales tax. So in the event that I get audited down the road, the state is going to pursue me, the seller, for the sales tax. They're not going to take my customer list and go after my customers. And it is extremely difficult to go back to customers and try to collect sales tax that you've never collected. So the risk of noncompliance is basically you shift the burden or the risk of the sales tax from your customer uh, to the seller. And then another question I get is what's the best software to utilize when complying? And, and first of all, what, what we're seeing uh, in the vast majority of cases is companies are using some soft, some sales tax software to help them with compliance with Wayfair. The, the, the amount and level of compliance has gotten much more um, detailed and much more burdensome than it has in the past. But there are also some excellent software solutions out there uh, that can be purchased and, and utilized for either the filing responsibility or all the way through the calculation of the collection of the sales tax at the point of sale, all the way through the, the um, preparing of returns and the remitting of the sales tax. And then um, the, the another question is, what do I do if I determine that I've got a sales tax presence in the state, that's pre-Wayfair, in other words, I determine I have inventory in the state or for whatever reason I have a responsibility to have collected sales tax in prior years and did not. Um, the, the solution to that is most states have what's called a voluntary disclosure program uh, where you can go to the state, you can um, basically uh, request a voluntary disclosure agreement. States will typically, if you have, especially if you haven't collected the sales tax, They'll limit how far back they'll go, and you're typically only responsible for the tax and interest. They'll typically waive penalties. Uh, and, again, that goes back to the comment I made earlier. If you haven't filed sales tax returns in the state, your statute of limitation doesn't start. So the state um, is virtually limitless in how far back they can go. And then uh, the last one is when do we have to begin collecting sales tax after we've met the state's wayfair standard and typically what we tell people is is because each state varies a little bit and a lot of times you don't know exactly when you're going to hit that standard until sometime in the, in the next month when you close your books so what we typically tell people if you think you're getting close then go ahead and register and start voluntarily collecting sales tax uh, because again uh, you collect it, what you're allowed to do voluntarily, you remit it, and then you keep the risk of sales tax from landing on uh, the seller versus uh, their customer.
2: And you've covered a lot of great points uh, during our discussion, Paul. Um, is there any advice you would leave listeners with, um, anything that you haven't gotten a chance to mention when it comes to dealing with Wayfair?
1: Well, I think the the biggest advice, again, is it's one of those areas that you really have to be in lockstep with your client. Your client needs to understand, as much as they may not like it, but your client needs to understand what the rules are, what the compliance responsibilities are, and the need to, to to be very clear and very thorough in communicating with you as to what their activities are and what they're doing in the different states, and then to make sure that you're following up on that activity to determine uh, when they may have a filing of responsibility in a given state by meeting the uh, Wayfair standards and then uh, complying with that.
0: Thank you to Paul for joining us to talk more about the impact of the Wayfair case. Let me know what you thought of this episode at Salerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast app. Thanks for listening.